0: The CNBC app. Global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts, and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the program. This is Squatbox. The SP 500 sinks below the 4,000 mark to its lowest level in more than a year as the tech sell off intensifies with total mega cap losses over the last three sessions topping $1 trillion. Oil extends losses as demand concerns linger while the 10-year Treasury yield hits its highest level since late 2018. Minneapolis Fed President Neil Kashgari telling CNBC he's still confident price pressures will ease. I'm confident we are going to get inflation back down to our 2% target, but I am not yet confident on how
1: much of that burden we're gonna to have to carry versus getting help from the supply side. Uh, the dollar dominates whilst crypto crumbles. Uh, the greenback holds near two decade highs, whilst Bitcoin leads declines across cryptocurrencies, down nearly 55%, ladies and gentlemen, from its November peaks. And tough times for Tesla as the electric vehicle maker reportedly halts production at its Shanghai plant, whilst the boss, Elon Musk, talks Twitter with the EU hinting at an agreement on regulation.
2: French President Emmanuel Macron calls for a new expanded European body and uh, that with a nod to Ukraine and the UK as the German Chancellor Olaf Scholz says European values must be upheld.
0: We are determined to defend the foundations of our coexistence. Peace and freedom, democracy, the rule of law.
1: Morning, how are you? Yeah, very well. I'm worried about the production team. Okay. I think they've uh, they swallowed something. Okay. An alliteration tablet. Did you hear it? Crypto crumbles, S&P sinks, yes. dollar dominates, Twitter talks. Yes. Are they okay?
0: I thought you did very well with the ruling R's as well. The, oh, the ruling R's. crumbling. Yes. Well, I, when you said, I think they've taken something, I wondered <laughs> uh, whether uh, you were uh, talking uh, about Kool-Aid.
3: Well, because when it well. comes to
0: how we're discussing the markets now there is a question about who is actually calling it right yeah and who has called it right particularly around the technology yeah
1: starts. it's quite extraordinary at the moment yeah. and you know about a week ago we were here talking mm-hmm. about how the market had declined aggressively and i hadn't seen the capitulation type volumes uh, yeah. that historically would need to be there to show some form of capitulation yes i think things have changed mm-hmm. I think we are seeing the proverbial baby being thrown out with the bathwater. I understand the baby was not harmed in the process, but I believe there is a bit of an issue here. You and I were looking at the uh, spider uh, ETF on the S&P 500. Volumes looked around about 50% higher uh, than they had been over the previous 30 days. I have been looking at volumes on all US exchanges coming in at 15.3 billion shares traded, which is well above the 12.3 of the previous 20 sessions. So, When events change, ladies and gentlemen, I will change. And I think that the volumes are indicating a degree of capitulation. You're welcome to disagree or agree, but what is fascinating is the market momentum was throughout the session dominated by big declines. We started off down and we built up throughout the session so much so that when I was sitting outside dancing, waiting for one of my daughters yesterday, Jeff and I were messaging furiously to each other on WhatsApp encrypted uh, about, and others are available, uh, about these moves on the markets as well we were fascinated have you seen so-and-so and And Jeff was like no have you seen so-and-so it was quite extraordinary looking at some of the darlings of the market coming back down to earth Dow ended 2% lower. The S&P 500 is now 17% off its record high. Uh, The NASDAQ down 4.3%. Do you want to have a quick look at the uh, treasury yields as well? Actually, it wasn't that dramatic yesterday. Funnily enough, it actually abated somewhat. So the bond sell-off meant that the yield went from 3.14 when I was here yesterday to 3.04. Maybe some of that language from the policymakers from some of those key strategies who Jeff's going to mention in a few moments time as well, Maybe about peak inflation its coming through, but I mean, look, it has to peak some stage. It's just some of us never believe transitory for one moment, and actually, maybe they see it peaking. The problem with that uh, scenario, and I'll just say now what I already think, because I'm not shy in coming forward, apparently, uh, <laughs> is the fact that they're talking about the supply side issues peaking, yeah? That's what they're talking about, the energy prices, the food prices, the, the inputs from the supply chain that have gone wrong. Now I'm going to talk about the demand side as well, because the jolts and other data showing to me that the demand side's picking up. I talked to you about a 10% pay deal asked for one of the unions yesterday. There is an awful lot of that around across the board. Would you like to look at one of the worst performing big indices, and it's not even technology. It's this one. It's the Russell 2K. It is falling aggressively. Do you know what it is down? Well, it had its worst day since June, 2020. It is off. Is it in correction territory? Of course it is. Is it in bear market territory? Of course it is. It is 28% below its record high. How about that for a decline? Okay, let me show you some technology names as well. Uh, We had the the, the companies by and large, there are one or two notable exceptions in my opinion, but who am I? Uh, These are massive companies that will be around throughout this route. They will survive the route because they throw off vast amounts of cash flow with notable exceptions. Again, I think you know who I'm talking about. And the fact of the matter is, some of these companies are not providing the bulwark for the S&P, the bulwark for the Nasdaq, that we hope they would through the earnings season because of costs rising, because of concerns about the cloud and the outlook. Uh, No problem to cloud AWS, of course. Uh, uh, And look at this. I'll just show you one more thing, because Jeff's got some brilliant things to say as well. If Twitter has a locked-in bid at 54.20, which some of us have been a little bit sceptical about, how did Twitter fall to a 47 handle yesterday if we all believe that the locked in bid is 44 billion at 54.20? There's one or two skeptics out there, only one or two. Yeah. I happen to be in that camp. S-
0: so, so just to come back to where we were, what we were discussing ultimately, um, was yesterday an important liquidation day? A- and we won't know, obviously, until we are some days or weeks away from this event to know actually how critical individual trading sessions are. Just to um, push back on uh, the argument that it may have been a significant liquidation day, I think that the, um, the coincidental indicators are interesting here, aren't they? If there wasn't very much movement in the Treasury, but you did have a high volume day, does that mean that that was an important liquidation day that suggests that we've got further to go? Or does it indicate a capitulation day, as it were? Or does it indicate it was a clear out day and then you've got an opportunity to come back into the market. I just throw this up because you've got people like Marko uh, Kalanovic out there from JP Morgan, he's a key strategist, he says the sell-off is overdone. Now look, we've, we've been around the block a few times, we know when you have a major investment bank strategist telling you we think it's safe to go back into the market, then you should treat it, you should treat that comment with the appropriate scepticism
1: that it deserves.
0: But coming back to your other point, um, Jan Hatzius is who you're referencing. Goldman Sachs. From Goldman Sachs. uh, Senior economist over at Goldman Sachs, uh, basically saying he thinks we're done. We think that the peak uh, of inflation will happen later this year. And he's focused on the PCE, which obviously is the Fed's important uh, measure. They believe it's a significant measure of inflationary trends. And he's arguing that they are now forecasting it to come down rather than go up at but this stage. But which
1: inflation from Mr Hatzinger? Well, That's the absolutely. only question I have for him. Which inflation? The supply side or the yep. demand side? And I have questions about both sides. Of well,
0: it. Well, ultimately, it's going to be both, isn't it? Because even as the central banks have been lifting interest rates and telling anybody who wants to listen, we are going to tame inflation. I think the effect of that language and the effect of those interest rate rises will be to dampen demand. So ultimately, you're going to have the two things meet in the middle somewhere there. One more stack for you before you carry on.
1: on. This is brilliant. It tells us what you said. You know increase in interest rates and yields, my view. Get a load of this. So what have we seen so far? We've seen a 50 and a 25 from the Fed, yeah? Yeah. Look at this. The 30-year mortgage costs compared with... The end of last year. What do you think they've gone up compared with the end of last year? It's a staggering figure. Genuinely, bear in mind, 30-year mortgages is mm. a key marker in the states. It's gone up 200 basis points. Wow. 200 basis points to 5.36 as your average yield on a 30-year mortgage. That
0: is the squeeze on the consumer. And so the Fed can kind of go, wasn't us, the markets did our work for us. Isn't that wonderful? Anyway, let's have a quick look at uh, some of the other uh, important markets that we need to mention for you uh, before we move on to some of the other stories. This is a a snapshot of how we've seen the Asian uh, markets perform uh, through the session here with the Nikkei 225 down about a half of 1%, even as the Bank of Japan continues to argue that yield curve control is the right way to go about the challenge of Uh, deflationary pressure they have inflationary pressure that's being imported through the very weak yen and of course the challenge of stimulating domestic demand themselves Um, I think oil has been interesting and it's another one to throw into the mix here as Steve and I discuss whether that was a capitulation session that we saw on equities what in fact are the oil uh, quotes telling us and we did have a significant uh, nearly six percent move I think on WTI overnight but we're settling just a, a little bit easier here around $102 a barrel on WTI crude and $104 a barrel on Brent crude and it, it very much seems to be the Chinese story, the demand story and the ongoing crackdown on Covid in Shanghai and Beijing that's got oil's focus and did you see how copper moved and some of the other commodities very interesting as well that we saw prices come down on a lot of commodities which I guess if you believe that we are peaking on inflation, it is just another coincidental argument for that. Dollar index, um, what's happening as far as the greenback is concerned? Well, we know we've had uh, a 20-year high as far as the dollar index is concerned, We're just a little bit easier on the quote this morning at 103.6. Of course, we we need to have a look at uh, one other area of the market as well, where we've seen some recent declines. Karen, you're taking a good hard look at the cryptocurrencies.
2: Yeah, Unusually, Jeff, it may shed some light on the broader market because don't forget a lot of professional investors have also waded into cryptocurrencies these days. And perhaps it's one of the reasons why we are seeing this part of the market also collapse. And you've seen very large falls here. And you talk about capitulation, liquidation. Same terms have really been used around cryptocurrencies, given that we are seeing effectively a buyer's strike when there's been a dip in the past. Buyers have come back in. That's just not proving the case this time around. We're not seeing any real enthusiasm To the upside, I mean, you've got a little bit of green on the boards today, but after a fall of about 54% off the highs on Bitcoin. We're just picking up 2%. And anyone who's tracked Bitcoin knows 2% is nothing in a Bitcoin trade. So you can see we're hugging that 31,000 line. Also for Ether, it's just not providing any form of a hedge against inflation at this stage. So the market is discussing the fact that we seem to have fallen about 15% below key support levels. And if that's a marker for what you're saying more broadly about whether we are getting to oversold territory, that what was once seen as uh, the level to the downside, we've now breached that by some territory. So I think that's It's just worth noting in terms of whether we get back to some of the highs. Well, there's a view that it could just take a long, long time to get back to any of those records, particularly, uh, you know, the levels that we saw on on Bitcoin when we were talking about some of the highs. And don't forget, uh, near on uh, 70,000, 68,000 that we saw on the price. So the territory is very wide and there is a, a real correlation here, it seems. And we've seen it before between any technology sell off or technology bounce. Typically, the crypto space can also track that. And also worth noting right across crypto. As you've seen these all move in lockstep to the downside. There hasn't really been many places to hide. So perhaps that is somewhat telling. But of course, uh, when we mention some of the reasons why people were buying crypto over the years, some of it was to hide from government reg- regulation. A lot of that has now caught up with the crypto space as well. And that inflation hedge, well, I think we can park that to one side. But in terms of the more broadly on the markets, just worth noting all the different reasons we've cited this time around very specific it feels to 2022 in a way where we've got this record inflation level we've got the geopolitics which is just extraordinary and of course the covid shutdowns in one main part of the world that's impacting supply chains but we haven't brought up one of the usual things we would discuss at this time of year if there happened to be a market sell-off and that is sell in may and go away the seasonals here whether we're also tracking up against that type of psychology in the markets where people are just reluctant to hold stocks and some of them potentially just cutting back those positions and uh, taking stock for the next couple of months but I'll just leave that uh, as a thought to ponder as we uh, also just come to what some of the central bank commentary is of late and um, the Minneapolis Fed President Neil Kashkari says he will keep paying attention to the data as the FOMC grapples with surging inflation across the United States. Speaking to CNBC Kashkari says the sooner the supply can match demand, the better.
1: I'm confident we are going to get inflation back down to our 2% target, but I am not yet confident on how much of that burden we're gonna to have to carry versus getting help from the supply side. I'm still optimistic that companies are working hard to rectify the supply chains, but I'm less confident on how long it is going to take. Meanwhile, the American people are paying prices that are much too high, and so that does not absolve us of having to do our jobs.
0: Let's bring in uh, Fahad Kamal, CIO at Kleinwort Hambrose. Fahad, you probably uh, heard much of what we discussed at the wall, just trying to get a handle on how significant yesterday was in terms of the recent selling and what it tells us about the upcoming trading sessions. How important um, has the decline been this week and what do you think it means for what happens next? Of
4: course, it's the multi-trillion dollar question. Everybody's trying to find out, look, I, I think um, it was you, Jeff, or, or perhaps Steve said that one trading session in itself, it doesn't you know, tell you a whole lot. Obviously, there's, there's plenty of fear in the markets. There is um, a huge amount of volatility. Uh, I don't think we're quite at levels of full-on capitulation yet, um, at least by the measures that we follow. I don't think we're quite into oversold territory right now. There's still a huge... Um, behavioural bias towards buying the dip, I think, to some degree. Um, And let's not forget that we're still not really in a bear market. So um, we were overdue a correction. Uh, That's what it is. Does this get much worse and enter into bear market territory? Of course, we don't know. And the picture is very mixed, which is why, you know, on the one hand, you've got a reasonably strong economic picture for now. Uh, At least in terms of, uh, you know, we're not expecting a recession, and earnings are still positive. On the other hand, plenty of of uh, of momentum going negative, and and potential issues uh, with rate rises. So it's a mixed picture, and we're neutrally positioned at the moment, um, given all of those crosswinds. Um, Just
0: to throw out some stats, so uh, our audience has a good understanding of where we are. The S and P closed uh, more than seventeen percent from its fifty-two week high the Nasdaq, NDX and Russell 2K down more than 27% from their 52-week high. Tech is more than 23% from its 52-week high. Um, you say it's not a bear market. It's starting to sound a little growly.
4: Yeah, well, certainly is. And, you know, you're right. I mean, global equities are, give or take, about 16 17% down from their all-time peak. So, yes, another you know, 4% and will you know, technically be in that, you know, full on growl mode, right? If, if, if things are just getting rumbly now. Um, uh, yeah. And, and that, that, that is the case, like obviously, but you have to take, put into context, right? We've had a massive, massive rally um, in the in the year and a half preceding that. And, uh, you know, to some degree, we were overdue a correction, which is what it is right now. Does this enter bear, bear market territory? Obviously, you know, we don't know, um, but there's plenty of reasons to think that that you know things aren't as dire as um, as the last few days and this year in general would would suggest. One of them, obviously, is that we still have a robust economic paradigm. If you want a job, you can get it. If you want to raise money, you you can. If you want to borrow money, albeit at slightly higher rates, as as, uh, as Steve mentioned, 200 basis points increase in mortgage, fine. But you still can, and those rates are still historically low. So there's plenty. Um, There's plenty to hold your hat, uh, you know, to hang your hat on as far as the global economic picture is concerned.
2: I take your point on the pain threshold for consumers and businesses as you talk about being rational around these markets, but if you consider there are parts of the market that are in bear market territory and quite some territory in terms of some of the technology names and the fast moving stocks uh, that were IPO'd in recent years, you can see that when you've got uh, big days to the upside, some of these names actually gather more momentum. The, the buyers do return uh, in uh, somewhat of a smaller fashion to these areas of the market, but on the downbeat days, it's quickly taken away again. What do you make of that? Are you saying that people who go back into these beaten up areas of the market are making a mistake at this point?
4: No, look, I, I wish I knew definitively, Karen. I mean, we, we don't, right? Um, there are clearly there's a lot of fear in the markets and, you know, the the, the buy the dip mentality that we've had for a very long time is, is you know, obviously there's much more of a sell the rip. Mentality in the in the sl- last few weeks and months, okay, uh, particularly in the last month or so, is that is that sort of just you know a, a temporary phase and and are you know are we waiting for something to to hold our hat on uh, more definitively before we get a big rally upwards? Obviously, we we just we just simply don't know. I mean, look on the basis of our um, investment uh, modeling, we still think that the economic regime is pretty good, and if you're a long term investor. Um, you know the, the this is you know we're not in a re- there's no recession it's not being forecast so that's that's a good thing on the other hand valuations are still not cheap momentum is is and is quite profoundly negative um, and sentiment isn't quite at levels of full-on capitulation yet um we're not there yet where just people want to stampede out of the exit no matter what as you said there's still plenty of you know smaller but still by the dip um, uh, feelings out there at least in some parts of the market we don't really know where, where this goes from here, right? Obviously, but as a result, you know, we're neutrally positioned. We do think that there is plenty of, of, you know, economic uh, support um, still, and that's that's a reason why we haven't cut risk and, and are not sitting completely on the sidelines because there is, you know, there, there is enough there um, uh, to be, you know, to be uh, supported by, particularly in terms of, of corporate earnings as well.
2: Let me again pick up on the buy the dip mentality because I want to just switch over to commodities and this is an area of the market where investors have been keen to, to hedge that they're concerned about the inflation pressures we've seen and commodities has been a, a place to hide out. We've come off on the oil price given this market selling. Is the buy the dip strategy something that should be deployed across in the commodity space?
4: So we entered the commodity space very late, admittedly. We we didn't get in until after the the war in the Ukraine began. And we were very nervous and hesitant when we did that, given that it had already had such a huge, um, huge rally over the course of, you know, for, for a long time, but then especially in light of the war. Um, we bought in late, very, very jittery, very nervous. And uh, anyway, we're up about 10 or 15% since. Um, the point is that what well, would you enter now? I, I still think that there's that there's scope to the upside. Uh you mentioned inflation. Uh we were and and and, uh, and Steve may be uh, tickled by this, but for very long we were in the transitory camp and and on your show and others, we were, you know, sort of probably one of the last ones to still hold on to the transitory. Well, we're officially not. There clearly is a, a pretty broad uh broadening of the inflation pressures particularly in terms of housing and rent. We think that that's going to stay for some time. We're not going to be at 2%, at least for a couple of years. Um, And therefore, there's still plenty of upside uh, when it comes to buying commodities, because commodities are a good edge against inflation over time.
2: Fahad, thank you so much for getting up early to speak with us. Uh, I know it's a big day out there, and you're probably glad the alarm was set so early. (laughs) Thank you so much for joining us. (laughs) Fahad Kamal with us, the CIO at Climbwood (laughs) Hamburgs. We're going to squeeze in a quick break, but coming up on the show, French President Emmanuel Macron calls for a new European community to unite democracies on the continent, even as the bloc struggles to stay united over Russian sanctions.
0: China's central bank has vowed to step up support for its slowing economy. The PBOC says it will keep its economic operations within, quote, reasonable ranges and will not resort to flood-like stimulus. The comments came after the central bank cut the amount of cash that banks must hold as reserves while refraining from cutting interest rates. China is tightening pandemic restrictions in Shanghai and expanding mass testing in Beijing as officials continue to push to eradicate the virus, according to documents seen by the Wall Street Journal. Residents in Shanghai received written notices announcing a quiet period, effective immediately during which most deliveries would be halted and residents would be barred from stepping outside. Tesla will reportedly run its Shanghai plant at a reduced level as the electric vehicle maker battles to secure certain materials and parts. This according to an internal memo seen by Reuters, the company had hoped to return to pre-pandemic output by more than, of more than 2,000 cars per day. However, the suspension will see less than 200 cars produced from that plant.
2: Moving on to politics, and the German Chancellor Olaf Scholz has welcomed French President Emmanuel Macron to Berlin, Macron's first foreign trip since being re-elected. During a speech in Strasbourg to mark Europe Day, the French leader urged the European Union to find a new political organization for non-EU countries that share the bloc's values. Let's get out to Charlotte for more. Charlotte, we know Macron has always wanted a bigger Europe, but somewhat confusing as to the separate organization that he's calling for that could involve uh, the likes of the UK that's already left. But of course, Ukraine that has been seeking to join the EU.
3: Yes, absolutely, Karen. That was a key message that we heard yesterday from President Macron. Important because that was one of the, that was the first big policy speech that he made since being sworn in again for a second mandate uh, just uh, last weekend. Of course, as you said, that was at the European Parliament in Strasbourg. We know that Europe has always been an essential part of his vision for France and for the continent. And there, as you say, he talked about uh, building this new European political community and he talked about how this could be a new space for political cooperation that would not be just like an EU membership, something
0: wider uh, on the continent. Take a listen. It's our historic obligation now to respond to these new challenges and to create what I would hear today qualify as a European political community. This new European organisation would enable democratic European nations who adhere to our values to find a new space for political cooperation, for security, for energy cooperation, transport cooperation, to invest in infrastructure where people could circulate, particularly the young. Joining forces wouldn't mean that you would eventually in the future join the EU and it also wouldn't be limited to those who have left the European Union.
3: So this new political community would be a tool for the sphere of influence of Europe. So of course, that would not be membership in particular, so that would apply to countries like Ukraine. He said membership can take years, if not decades, to apply, and that's just too long for some countries like Ukraine. So this could be the tool that could uh, help as well, and that would apply also to the United Kingdom. He sent the speech that could apply to countries that have left the EU. So uh, some of the proposals were in this ambitious speech from Emmanuel Macron, he talked as well of modifying some treaties uh, to make Europe more efficient, particularly particular I said the, the voting to a qualified majority instead of a unanimity, a multi-speed Europe as well, something, a topic that's been on the table for many, many years of discussion, uh, talking about how Europe, some countries could be allowed to integrate further and faster than others, I said, to a certain extent, it already exists with the Eurozone and Schengen, but the fact that the French President is saying this in the European Parliament is kind of bringing it back to the table, potentially making more of a real, reality again and kind of bringing new speed to this protest, to this protest process, potentially. Of course, all this is important on a European level, and that's why he went to Berlin as his tradition for a French president after being elected, going to meet the German chancellor in Berlin, who poured a little bit of cold water on some of these proposals and said, well, we don't necessarily need to reform the treaties. But he did talk about that there were some interesting proposals on the table that will be discussed further. But of course, it is important domestically, because even though Emmanuel Macron has been re-elected on a European platform, as you said, Karen, already, he said the presidential election was a referendum on Europe. He was facing some anti-European parties as well. Uh, He has another election ahead. He has an election in just five weeks, the parliamentary election, the first round there. And again, he's facing some tough challenges. The the left parties have united behind Jean-Luc Mélenchon, the five-left candidate who arrived third in the presidential campaign, on a very Eurosceptic platform again. So some of these rhetorics and topics of the EU is still important, even on the domestic front. So an interesting and challenging uh, speech from Emmanuel Macron, both on the EU level